Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What's Good with Ben V. On today's episode, I'm super pumped to talk to a friend. Uh, she's uh, quite an accomplished uh, Olympic weightlifter. She's a national level athlete. She's got a world record in the women's masters division in the snatch for Olympic weightlifting. But uh, that's only one of the things that's uh, interesting about Gwen. She's got a degree from MIT in astroscience and aeronautical engineering. And she's gonna talk to us today a little bit about what that kind of work involves and how her career as a weightlifter and as an engineer and a scientist meld together. It's very interesting to see how she developed as an athlete while pursuing such a super difficult career. Hope you enjoyed it. Fantastic. Welcome to uh, another episode of What's Good with Ben V. And we have Gwen Sisto. And Gwen's a, a friend and... Uh, and a colleague. She's uh, involved in my industry on a professional level as a professional athlete and uh, as an Olympic weightlifter and coach. Um, but today we're going to talk about, you know, Gwen's alter ego. Gwen's uh, an aerospace engineer and um, she's currently working on some really interesting projects that we'll talk about a little bit. But I really want to dig into how, you know, how you got involved in aerospace engineering and, you know, kind of what was the tipping point there? What got you interested in in uh in aerospace and, and space in general oh hey so thanks for inviting me on so it's kind of funny um you know being in a sport like olympic weightlifting um there really wasn't any opportunity to kind of monetize your success especially when i was like a teenager i mean now there's a, a little bit better stipends and that type of stuff for athletes but definitely not at the time when i was going into college so one of the things I looked at was uh, schools that had access to weightlifting platforms. I'm not even joking. So, and places where I knew I could lift. Um, so I thought I would do engineering because I, I like science and, you know, I was pretty good at science as, you know, you know, decent at math. Um, and I don't know, I always thought it was, you know, cool to work on, you know, planes or spaceships. I always thought those types of things were very fascinating. And there were very useful things that you could do for the, you know, future of the world, right? So then I was like, well, maybe I'll just study, like, you know, rocket science. I'll just be an aerospace engineer, so I call myself a rocket scientist. Because if I do any <laughs> engineering major, it's probably going to be hard. So, because I was really thinking, oh, maybe I should do computer engineering. Because there's, you know, tons of amazing jobs in that. Or maybe I should just do something that sounds cool like rocket science. So that's, that's how I, I, I did pick aerospace. And then I went to Georgia Tech because I knew there was a weightlifting team in Atlanta. And there had been several, like, really good weightlifters that went to Georgia Tech. Like, for example, like, Brian Jacob. He was on, like, the 1996 Olympic team. And I think the 1992 Olympic team as well. And he went to Georgia Tech. So I was like... And they even had a barbell club, but I actually had gotten permission from the athletic director to use their varsity weight room. So, I mean, for me, that was, like, more important than some of the other reasons to select a school. So that was pretty funny, um, if you think of it that way. That's interesting, because I, I, I selected my school as well because of the sports, because of the baseball team. They had a D1 baseball team, and I had a small interest in 
in aerospace and engineering and aviation, but nothing that drove me to pick the school. It was more a function of the baseball team. So you picked it because they had a weightlifting program. Well, also like, well, yeah, I mean, also like Georgia Tech was like, they're always number one or number two in aerospace. So that was, and it was, so that was, that was like part of it too. But like when it came down to the other schools I was looking at, um, yeah, the weightlifting, like, like that was a pretty, yeah. So there has to be a point that you're in that undergraduate program that you actually have to start developing a love for, you know, that particular facet of engineering. Like, at what point did that happen? Um, I don't, well, I don't say love for it because you start <laughs> school and you're paying, you know, all this money to go to college. So you, you damn better make sure you get, like, good grades. Um, but for me, it was more of a challenge because I don't know if people really thought I was smart where I went to high school or maybe, they, you know, they probably thought I was like average or whatever. And I, I, I don't know, like, you know, what I mean, I probably don't didn't look like the stereotypical smart kid. So going to Georgia Tech, I didn't know anybody there. No one from my high school went there. So it was kind of a chance to reinvent myself and see how far I could take my brain. And then I quickly learned that I was like really good at physics. I, I really good at calculus. I was really good at differential equations. And I just liked the fact that I could be good at something that was really hard. And mm -hmm. like the harder the class was, the better I did at it. And it was usually the easier classes that I, I did that I got like B's in or something. The hard classes I, I, I like made a point to get A's in those. And I don't know. I think it was it was definitely just really really cool. Everything that you worked on was interesting because it had to do with like either planes or, or spaceships or, you know, fighter jets, jet engines. There's like, I don't think there's anything boring about that, you know? Well, and I mean, no, I don't think you could, I mean, probably, probably the male audience would be 100% in agreement and the female audience would be more like 20% in agreement. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, you know, aviation and aerospace is just continues to be fascinating. You know, they're, they're always reinventing themselves it's amazing it's you know but I, so from there you go on to graduate school and you went to MIT correct and yeah what was the graduate program there so I was in uh actually my degree is in aeronautics and astronautics okay I well you know it's like aerospace engineering that's the official title so um mm -hmm. it was funny so I was working at a jet engine company and they they you know sponsored me to get my degree so I was working at a research lab where I was really looking at um, how to how to apply like lean manufacturing to the aerospace industry, and but but still you know you still take courses like I took like one course in system safety, and then we were doing like and we did some sort of like analysis for like I think it was like the NASA Cassini mission or something like that, or and mm -hmm. it was it was um, and actual people from JPL came to our class. And gave us the project scope, and then at the end of the semester, we like presented it, and that was just like part of the class. Like at MIT, you just have like this access to all this stuff, and just it was just so cool, like walking around the campus, and you go in, like you see the dome, like there's this court called Killian Court, and you, you like the famous dome you see in all the movies, and you see like they have inscribed on top of it like Galileo, Copernicus, and you just get really like. <laughs> It's really like very, uh, I don't know, spiritual or something. And I always found that like at MIT, um, your ideas, they always pushed you to have more ideas and no one was going to tell you you had a dumb idea. If anything, they'd be like, oh no, you should develop that idea. 
So it was like very um encouraging and it was weird. Like they, they really used some kind of weird positive reinforcement to get you to work harder. And it was it was weird. It was like it was like constantly being pushed like this, like being you know, pushed to chat be challenged. To, to get mm-hmm. more out of you, come on, you can do more, you can do more. But it was never in a negative way. And MIT really taught me, like, to question everything, like, look at, you know, there's rules and guidelines. What's really a rule? What's really a guideline? And, you know, think of it that way um, when you're working on a problem, whether it's technical or otherwise. So mm-hmm. that it just kind of, like, changes the, the bounds of reality for you. So it, it was pretty liberating in that regard. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a cool campus. It's in the middle of uh, Cambridge, across from Boston. Um, right. I, I don't know. It was, just, it was just like a really great experience. So It sounds like they fostered creativity, not just, you know, not just development, research and development, but more creativity, which is pretty unusual for oh, engineering school. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because, like, like, Georgia Tech was, like, really hard, and I learned a lot of things there, but MIT was also really hard but in a different way and it definitely fostered creativity and you weren't you didn't feel that like it wasn't for me at least it wasn't soul crushing where someone was gonna be like oh you spent all that time on your idea oh it's terrible you're never gonna hear that it was always gonna be like oh develop that idea tell me more about it and i remember like we had to like present our like thesis research and they would advertise it and then, like, I just remember people from industry, like a consultant, came to listen to me lecture about my research. I was like, wow, like, people in industry actually look at, you know, what MIT publishes in their just regular newsletter about what research is going on. And, and like, people are coming to, like, hear me talk and I'm just a grad student. Like, this is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's it. And so I know you and I have talked about it before, but... Your your education, how much of that engineering background carried over into your weightlifting? Because I would imagine it's a great deal. Yeah, it was really weird. Like I felt that my education capacity built my weightlifting capacity and vice versa. Like, you know, to be a successful weightlifter you have to do thousands of repetitions and it sometimes it can be very monotonous. I mean, you could say this the same of every sport to some extent. Like, I, I really don't believe anyone who says, oh, I love practicing my sport every single day because it just gets to the point where you have to do repetition to get better. And, you know, sometimes it's going to be tiring, especially when you're exhausted and you've been doing this, you know, twice a day all week. Right. But you get to a point where you reach, like, mental flow. So you're studying so hard. And then it's almost like, I don't know, it's almost like that last scene in The Matrix where Neo can just like see the code and uh-huh. just start flying and stuff like that. So it's like you're just studying so hard and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I just understand all this and you can just, you know, write equations and, and sometimes you just get the answer without thinking very hard. So, but you, it took a lot of work to get to that point. Um, right. And weightlifting was the same way. You have to really stretch your body really hard to get to a point where you just understand everything. So that's that's really like the fascinating part. And I felt like that capacity carry over. Because with lifting, there came a point after years of weightlifting, like my reflexes were just great at everything. Like, you know, like my daughter, she's really into tennis. I'm not like I've never really played tennis, but you know, I could like, you know, hit a ball, serve a ball without like you know, a lot of practice and then, you know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, whereas if I, 
um, with someone off the street that didn't do weightlifting, I'd have to probably do thousands more hours to get to that point. So it was weird that you, there's this spillover of like hand-eye coordination that I never would have expected from weightlifting, but also it's just that whole reflux reaction that's very, um, the sympathetic nervous system that really carries over into other sports. And you're just, cause you're constantly exercising that in weightlifting. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, we, we've spoken about that too. It's such a complicated, uh, endeavor, just the practice of weightlifting. It stresses your nervous system and it prepares your nervous system for all other activities. I mean, that, that's the beauty of weightlifting. You know what, what I've always wanted to ask you and what was reinforced today when I was, uh, I was looking at the NASA website and being women's history month, they were talking about different, you know, uh, women in in space and their accomplishments and i noticed in particular that there's a big push to do more research in space um correlating physiology there's a lot more research on you know the effects of gravity on bone marrow and and uh and the search for better nutrition in space and like dedicated projects to that you know i was I wanted to get your thoughts on that and if there was any interest in you ever marrying the two and doing some research with weightlifting and, and, and aerospace. Yeah, I, it's interesting because I think like the, the Soviets had actually, they used weightlifting with um, cosmonauts to, as their preparation, right? And it's, mm -hmm. I think it came back to bone density and that sort of thing. But, you know, fr from the American perspective, I think they, they took a different approach. But if you think about it, the missions in like the 60s at like the peak of kind of like the old space race, they were like, you know, they're like a few days long. They're not, you know, like, you know, it's not like months they're up in space, right? You know, right. Um, so you think about that, if you're just getting short exposure and you're not staying up there for months at a time, um, yeah, I mean, nutrition's important, but maybe I wonder if the thought was more of just keeping people alive. Whereas now you have people going up from the space station and, um, you know, they're spending weeks, months there. I think it's a much different equation, right? And mm -hmm. we're looking at, you know, the industry is looking at missions to Mars, um, going back to the moon, but having like some kind of like permanent station there, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the space environment, I mean, the main thing is, you know, lack of gravity, so you lose bone density, um, how, how you keep your muscle mass. You know, you see the pictures of astronauts coming out of space and they're being lifted up out of their craft because they could, you know, barely walk, that type of stuff. But then also the radiation, like it has a lot of effect on the um, astronauts' eyes and there's just other um, exactly. aspects of that. But I don't know, that's a good question. I think that would be really cool. I mean, right now I'm probably, wor I'm working more on like uh, the hardware side. Um, but that, but actually, yeah, that would be something I would love to participate in at some point. Cause yeah, there's, I think there's a, a big application that we know from, um, stressing the organism and weightlifting and, and how you get gains and, and how you cycle stress that you probably could apply to other aspects. And I, I don't know, I kind of feel like maybe the Soviets have already done some of it, but we just don't know about it because, you know, the, the trend, you know, the, um, What's it called? It's it's a, the academic societies don't talk to each other, or the research was lost, or whatever. So right, no, I, I I never I never gave thought to the long term aspect. Now that's really the big challenge. You're right. It's a it's a totally different equation, and I would imagine that you know there my curiosity would be 
the link between weightlifting and your effect on the autonomic nervous system because you know we're gravitational beings and people think of it like they've thought of it in terms of bone density and physiology but not on the effect of the vestibular system and you know uh, your brain function and that has to have that you know that one gravitational pull on it to be able to function the way where you know we've evolved oh yeah, yeah it's a, it's it's curious. So, so now, what are you working on now that you can talk about, and what what aspect of the aerospace environment? Oh, uh, different things. So, I mean, the past few years, I've been, been more involved on like the satellite side, like trying to bring, um, you know, internet to the world. Um, it, it's with um low Earth orbit satellites, so it's pretty exciting. I was actually on National Geographic, so it on made in a day. Please. The name of the, the program. So okay. And so mm-hmm. at one point, I had led the world's highest rate um, satellite production line. Because what's interesting is, in the industry, you have what's called old space and new space. And um, in the past, you know, you have like exquisite systems, as we call it, that you know could take like you know years to build. And it costs a billion dollars or a hundred million dollars, and they go off in space in like a geostationary orbit, for example, and they mm-hmm. sit there for like twenty years. So everything has to have tons of redundancy in it. Whereas if you go to like a distributed system, you don't have to invest all that in one big instrument. You can have a bunch of small satellites that are just kind of like circling the globe in a constellation. So that's one of the things I was I was working on, and so it's it's just very exciting because. Like, even in America, like, there's, you know, all, this, all the time you'll find dead spots in your um, sat- in your internet coverage. For example, if you're on your smartphone, you know, mm-hmm. you're driving, maybe you're driving through a swampy area, maybe you're in the mountains somewhere, and you lose service, right? And, you think, right. And, you, and part of it is because there's, you know, maybe there's not, like, a tower there. So it's kind of like that where... If you have if you have a constellation up in you know up in orbit and you have a user terminal that satellite's going to be internet to your user terminal um, in most parts of the world and that's especially important if you're in like ocean transport you're in the middle of the Pacific it's really nice to have internet more than once a day right um, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it'd be great you know if you're a shipping company to be able, be able to track your assets and you're not like you know losing humans at sea and not knowing what happens to them right mm-hmm. and then you know, for airplanes, it's, it's kind of the same thing. Wouldn't it be nice to get on a plane and then your cell phone works the whole time? Or when you're flying over the ocean, you know, you're going, I don't know, transatlantic or trans-Pacific, there's, there's dead spots in carrier covers because there's no ground station that right. they're uh, picking up. So, you know, if you have these satellites orbiting the globe, you could get internet. So there's a bunch of, uh, you know, different companies right now that, or you know, either have constellations to orbit or they're working on it. And then there's a bunch of other applications that you can do with that because now if you have a whole constellation of satellites that are closer to the Earth, they have much lower latency, well, what other things can you doing, could you be doing with them besides um, Internet? And um, like what other, other instruments you could put on them, for example? What, what other, how, how else can you help the world or add value with, with these assets? So that's kind of that's kind of some of the stuff I'm working on. So wow, that, that I mean that's super interesting. I you often wonder about that when you take a plane ride. You're like, where are they getting their Wi-Fi signal, and why why is it not consistent? 
you know, with one area of flight, with another area of flight, another pattern. And, you know, you might have it sometimes and you might not have it. It's like, you know, but I understand that now. Yeah. So, so what's, what's the future hold for you in the industry? What do you, what, you know, what, what are your aspirations for moving forward in the next couple of years? What would, you, what would be your dream project? Oh my God. Like, you know, that's, that, that's so funny when, when you ask the next couple of years and then, and then, and then after COVID just happened, right? right. I, I, I honestly, I don't know. After, you know, the whole uh, COVID pandemic, the last like year or so, it's hard to say, but um, yeah, anything that could just, it's really amazing to be part of something that can help the world move forward and, and add value to humanity. So I mean, you know, certainly space, what's amazing is, you know, like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, space was kind of like dead or not right. as exciting, but just, it was like basically government funded, but there wasn't a lot of funding and people were losing interest in it. But now, you know, we have all these startups and there's so much opportunity. So just being a part of that mission on, you know, helping humans get back to the moon, helping people get internet all over the globe and be connected and be part of the global economy i think that's that's awesome yeah yeah well um tell us about the show again what's the name of the show gwen oh it's called made in a day on national geographic and there's there's an episode on satellites it aired actually almost it aired like last april i want to say like april 2020 but if you have if you have discovered um, I'm sorry, just National Geographic, you can def definitely get it. So, okay. it's, 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 depending on which, I think it's Disney Plus has National Geographic. Yeah. Perfect. I, I, and, when, I, yeah, where, and where can everybody find you on social media? Oh, oh yeah. I'm mostly on like Instagram. I, I, okay. I, post, a, I post a lot of um, launch videos on there, but uh, yeah. Nice. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. I mean, this has been super interesting and, you know, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll catch up again soon and see both where your weightlifting career are and, you know, where, what's going on in the aerospace uh, industry. And um, thanks again, Gwen, and appreciate you being on What's Good. All right. Thanks a lot. It's always great to see you. So I hope everything is well and, you know, continue being yeah. awesome. Thanks again, friends, for listening to another episode of What's Good with Ben V. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends, share it on your social media. We look forward to you sitting back and enjoying future episodes where we look behind the curtain and learn a little something about an athlete or an entertainer that you didn't know.